Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that you bestow upon us in Christ to provide a faithfulness based upon what Christ has done for us, whereby you can cleanse us from our sins after salvation when we confess them to you. We ask, Father, that we would be encouraged to confess, that we would recognize the error of our own ways, not because we want to give up those things necessarily, but because we could recognize that those things are not worthwhile to us and that you have something much better for us. So instead of giving them up, to choose to take what you're giving to us. Thank you for loving us, for providing a way out of every temptation that we can take and choose to opt out of that temptation. In Jesus' name, amen. We are looking tonight at James 1.15 primarily. We have a few words I want to deal with. And if you look back at verse 13, the first thing we learned in this passage is that God is not the source of our temptation. He is above temptation, excluded from temptation. Nothing can tempt him. And it says in James 1.13 that God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And that word anyone means not a single one. So if you are tempted, know without a shadow of a doubt that it is not God who is tempting you. He is righteous. He will not, uh, he will not tempt you into unrighteousness. If something is worthless that you're looking at, that doesn't have inherent value because it's not righteous, he will not lead you there. He will not tempt you to take it and see whether you'll obey him or not. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He's not going to even try to tempt or bait your sin nature. Now, a couple of things. In verse 14, we identified how temptation starts and how it works. Verse 15, so in verse 13, we get the principle that God cannot be tempted by evil and he's not the source of temptation. In verse 14, we could pick up the understanding about temptations as a process, how it actually functions. And we said when we finished verse 14 that temptation is not sin. You will be tempted. You cannot choose not to be tempted. That's an external thing that happens when Satan and company bait a trap for you that appeals to you in your sin nature's lust pattern. That is all out of your control. God does not hold you responsible for being tempted. What you do have control over is whether or not you take the bait in the trap. And that's what God holds you accountable for. Now, part of the process that we're facing when we're facing temptation is to step outside of those things which God has provided for us and to take something which God has not provided for us. What I mean by that is that God has given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness. And in doing so, he provides everything we need for spiritual operation. And that word life there is the word for spiritual life, zoas. So he's given us all that we need to carry out the spiritual life he has called us to, to operate in that spiritual life. And the second part of that verse is that he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Godliness is the attribution of God's character in us. Not to us, but in us. There's a massive difference between having something given to you and actually having it within you. We as God's children, when we follow who he is, his character is developed in us. And the result of that is that on the outside, our works are seen as being the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit possessing nine attributes. Now, the structure of the relationship looks like this. God is the Father. 
he is the initiator. That means he chooses to give and do things to his children. So we'll put God's children. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are God's child. You are spiritually born. It's not just some label you're given. His seed abides in you. 1 John 3, 9 says, If anyone is born of God, he cannot be credited with performing sin, for God's seed abides in him. We are born spiritually in the same moment that we believe and depend upon Jesus Christ to be our Savior. It's a spiritual birth. So we actually identify through the doctrine of regeneration, which identifies that the Holy Spirit generates, which means creates, a living spirit within you. So you have a human spirit and you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. They're easy to get confused, but the Bible says in Romans that when we have the, the witness that we are God's spiritual children from a process of spiritual birth is that the Holy Spirit indwells us and our human spirit is existing. It says the Holy Spirit and the human spirit testify that we are God's children. Now that word children there is children by birth. Spiritual birth. So we have the physical birth process, and this is what Nicodemus was asking about in John 3. How can a man be born again? Well, the phrase born again is actually born from above. And the idea is that you must be born spiritually. Jesus replies, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit must generate a human spirit within you, and he only does that in that moment when you depend upon Christ to be your Savior. So you are very, literally and very real, a child, or very really a child spiritually of God. Now, part of the problem for us, sight-based individuals, meaning that we react and respond to things that we can see, feel, and perceive, is that we can't see spirit. It's invisible to us. The only way we learn about this human spirit and the Holy Spirit within us that functions is if we submit ourselves completely and entirely to God as our Father. As you know, I have a daughter named Riley, I have a daughter named Piper. Their role right now is to choose to obey their mother and father. I didn't create that role, God did. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Their job, their sole choice is to obey. That's all they have to do. That relationship between parents on earth and their children on earth is the same relationship we have. It's modeled to us by this structure where God is the father for his spiritual children and God's children respond to what he is leading them and providing them into. What he's leading into them and what he's providing for them. Now we gave you the table analogy last week, if you remember, or two weeks ago, if you remember. We said, let's say if your friends invite you over to their house for a meal, they've prepared a meal for you, you sit down, you pray, thank God for the meal, and instead of you digging into what's been prepared for you, you get up and you go to the kitchen, you open the fridge, and you try to find whatever it is you want out of that. That's not the proper relationship that we are to have in a setting like that, but also we use this as an analogy for a relationship with God. God has laid out everything that he wants to provide for us moment by moment. And we are supposed to respond to what he's giving us, 
not to turn around and take for ourselves what we want instead. God is the initiator. Our choice is to obey and respond to him and what he's providing. The instant we get up off, that, off of our table chair and go to the kitchen to grab for ourselves, we've lost it. We're not responding to him. Now what are we doing? We're saying we don't like this, we don't want this, we want something different. We're responding to what we want, our desires. It's, in essence, that's the process of temptation that we identified in verse 14. So the structure of the spiritual child is that God initiates and provides, and the spiritual child responds and accepts. Which means if anything comes from us, it's sin. If it starts with us, it's sin. This can be a very difficult thing to see. It starts with understanding your lust pattern. starts with understanding your behavioral trend, what's towards rebellion or uh, do-goodism, uh, le- um, legalism. And understand those things slowly. Understanding your sin nature and those things, it gives you, in your experience, in your walk with God, it gives you an ability to understand when you're taking for yourself and when you're pr- responding to him. It's critical because the Christian way of life, our way of operation, defined by scripture, is one of spiritual operation. We are to operate spiritually, not carnally. And any time we don't respond or stop responding in our relationship to what God is initiating to us, that moment we've gone carnal and we're not operating spiritually. Now we're producing counterfeit works. That sets us into verse 14 in our review. So it says, but each one, and that means each and every one is tempted. That means to be tested in your character when he is carried away, and this word we looked at it, it means to be dragged out by force. Something forces you to a place and causes you to have to choose one thing or another, to say yes or no to something. We look at the fellowship structure that God has given us where after we accept Christ as our Savior, we're placed in Christ positionally. means that that's our location. Everything we do as children of God is in Christ, in our position. But in our walk with God, in our relationship with Him, we're either operating carnally or we're operating spiritually, and that's called fellowship. 1 John 1, 5-10 identifies fellowship. John says that fellowship is the only tool that we have to both learn about when we're operating carnally and to also produce righteous works. So if you want to produce righteous works, you have to start responding to God. Now be careful because if your objective is, I want to produce righteous works, so I'm going to do this, then whose will are you following? Even if it is to say, I want to do God's will, so I'm going to confess my sin so I can do God's will. It's very subtle, but when you look at what you're saying, you're saying, my objective is this. You're not looking at God's objective. Now, obviously, God wants us to do his will. But it's not about what we're doing ever. Actions are sinful, but they're only sinful because they're not us following God. Anytime we don't respond to him, it's sin. We have a hard time seeing that sometimes. This 
action of being carried out by force to a place is accomplished by our lust pattern, whether it's pride, sensuality, or materialism. It takes you where, if you're in fellowship, it brings you to the edge, if you will, of your relationship with God, of your response to him, and it pulls you to that edge, forces you to look at something that's not being provided by God, that's out here on this hook. It's bait. And the word daily odds is the word we have for enticed by, and it means to bait into a trap. The process we looked at last week is very much akin to fishing. It's very similar to fishing. Satan and company cast their bait into the water. You are the fish. Your lust pattern says, I want that bait. Go look at that bait. And it makes you look at that bait and say, deal with this. What are you going to do? Give me that bait. Take that bait. And you have to make a choice. Am I going to accept that bait? Am I going to take the thing that I want, or am I going to stop responding to myself and start responding to God? And so that point, you have to make a choice. Until you choose to take that bait, you have not sinned. The desire for something sinful is not sin. The temptation to something sinful is not sin. The taking of something that God has not provided you is sin. Anything that is outside of your relationship with God and what he's provided for you is inherently worthless, is evil. It has no value and no benefit in your life. The only reason we go for it is because our lust pattern says that will please me in some way. I wish for our sake the lust pattern was some disease or some virus that we could get rid of through uh, some sort of nerve block or some sort of antibiotic, but it's not. It's a part of us. And if we're not following and responding to God in whatever moment we're operating in, then we're responding to our lust pattern leading us. It drags us to the point where we have to make a choice, yes or no for the bait. And the instant you say no to that bait and tell your lust pattern to stay quiet and that it doesn't have authority over you because you've been set free by God who bought you with the blood of Christ, it says okay. When you tell it no. Now sometimes we're like, no, not right now. <laughs> or I don't really want to, which is it no. But when we make our mind up and say, yes, I'm taking what God's giving me, I'm not taking the bait, I'm saying no to taking for myself, it's always because we recognize that what God has given us is better. And so it's a choice, not so much to take the bait or not take the bait, but the choice is to trust that God is giving us what's best for us in spite of what we feel, think, want, or, want, or like. In James 1.17 verse that I was hoping we would get to a few weeks uh, from now. James writes, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. This is why it's not about taking the bait or not taking the bait. This is about accepting what God wants and says it's best, 
or about rejecting that. That's all this is. And see, the bait is designed to get our attention, to draw us out, to entice us into the trap of responding to what we want instead of what God says. But the reality is that while we're focused on that bait, the hook is really about getting us to stop responding to God. Because if we're not responding to God, then we're going to end up ultimately, if we choose not to confess from that point on, we're going to end up ultimately into a system of either self-righteousness, lasciviousness, meaning that you can do whatever you want for freedom. And all of those things are a part of the satanic world system that we're operating within. The goal of Satan coming when they cast that bait in the water is not to get you hooked on that bait. The bait is deception. The hook is the real catch. They're trying to get you to stop responding to God and respond to your lust pattern. If you respond to your lust pattern, they'll do whatever they want with you. Because they lead this world. This world operates under the three categories of lust, pride, sensuality, materialism, and they will manipulate you. But look at what James 1.17 says. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift, good here, the opposite of what we had is evil in verse 1.13. That which is inherently valuable because it's produced by a righteous standard and process. It's accomplished the way God wants. So in other words, in my example, this is the Oakley. Bad or evil is the Foakley. The fake Oakley is the counterfeit works. Every good thing, that which is inherently valuable, that is given. Now notice it's given. We don't ever have to take what God wants for us, ourselves. He gives it to us. Now he doesn't always do it in our timing, but he gives it to us. He bestows it upon us. And look at it, it also says that this other, other phrase, every perfect gift. Again, idea of giving. And perfect here means complete, not lacking anything. It's not halfway produced. It's been built through a process, and it's ready to be sent to market. It's completed in its form. Therefore, it can function properly. Where does it come from? From above. Coming down from who? The Father of lights. That's referring to God the Father, who through God the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit created the entire universe. The one from whom the stars shine light, the sun shines its light, and the moon reflects light. The last ver- part of verse 17 says that there, with God there is no variation or shifting shadow. Phrasing in the Greek is a little different. It means that there is no ability for him to be eclipsed by anything else. Nothing else can get in between us and him. Nothing else is more powerful to stand in the way of what he is providing for us. The only thing that hinders us, like we learned at winter camp, is when we consent to our lust pattern to take the bait in the trap. That's the only thing. Now when we get to that part of the process, James says that lust is conceived. It's taken our desire for that bait, our sin nature, and our free will have come together and they've produced a product. That product is sinful, it misses the mark. The word gives birth to is actually the word tiktai. And it means it brings forth. The idea is that it builds out a process of something. 
It starts and it brings forth to completion at some point if it continues, if the process continues, this thing called sin, which means missing the mark. It brings forth a product that misses the mark. Now, this here in the Greek lacks a definite article. Now, why do I tell you that? Because a definite article tells us something specific, a specific sin. And so it would say, it gives birth to the sin. And so in that idea, it would be focusing on a specific sin that was given birth to or brought forth in the process in that specific temptation. But when it, it's not there, which is what we have here, when we don't have the definite article, it focuses on the character or qualities of what sin is. And so it's stressing and emphasizing that when our lust pattern and our free will cohabit together and get together, that through a process, they bring forth something that has the quality and characteristics of missing the mark of God's standard. And then... My little superscript here, articular, identifying that this one actually does have the definite article. It says, and when the sin, now it switches to the specific product that's produced through that process that has the characteristics of missing the mark. Now that sin specifically is, when that sin is accomplished, this is a present aorist. It's a participle. It's not present and aorist at the same time. It's got to be perfect. It's passive. That's what it is. It's a passive aorist parcel. It means that in the moment in time when that sin is brought to completion, or brought to, when the process finishes in that moment, when sin is acted upon to be made complete, which the word accomplished means to be made complete, this is a principle. Every time this part happens, this part happens. When we consent to take the bait in the trap, sin is produced. That's it. Only thing that separates us from temptation and sin is free will, the ability to choose. It's the only thing that stops God from being able to give what he's trying to give to us because we're rejecting what he's giving to us to take what we want for ourselves. God gave us free will so we would choose to obey. Not so we would choose for ourselves. Now look at the result of this. It brings forth, now see, we've done, they've done something weird here. They've switched their words. Tick time means to bring forth. And this phrase here means to give birth to. <laughs> and so this is actually very much a human reproductive cycle lesson. Man and a wife conceive a, through a process of gestation, a child is born. When that child is completely finished, hopefully, the reason, oh, well, in this case, it's a sad story because the child that was brought forth is dead. James is likening the temptation process beating us to a child who is born dead. Now, it's pretty strong imagery, isn't it? It's stronger if you've had children because there's that moment and hopefully at the right time when you guys are in this process of having been married and then being blessed with having children. In that moment when the baby is lifted up, there's a pause before the first breath. 
and the first cry. And it's a very joyous thing when that baby starts to cry. It's kind of weird. Because the next time it cries, it's not joyous. Nor are any of the times after that at 4 in the morning and 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, 2.45 in the morning, and all you get the rest. But the imagery here is that sin produces stillborn birth. A child who is not living. It doesn't take that first breath. Because it doesn't take the first breath, physical life does not start. And because physical life does not start, whatever biological function that body could ha- what it does have in the womb and would have had on the, on the other side of the womb doesn't begin. When our sin, when our free will consents to the lust pattern, we produce a dead child. We produce a dead work It separates us from God spiritually because what it's done is it's through our free will. We've taken the bait in the trap and we have left fellowship with God to take for ourselves. The result is spiritual separation from him until that time that we confess again. Praise be to God that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that through those who have trusted in him to be their savior... When we sin, it's charged to him. But if you've not trusted Jesus Christ to take your sins away, to take the penalty for your sins, to be your savior, then when you sin, it's charged to you. And if you die physically, it will be the last regret that you have when you face God as a judge instead of as your father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and its ability to speak truth into our lives. We ask that we would be receptive to what the Holy Spirit is doing, to what he teaches us through your word. Give us an understanding clearly, Father, of when we're not responding to you, when we're initiating to ourselves and responding to our lust pattern. Give us encouragement to say no to the bait, knowing that because it's not provided for you, it has no value at all to us. Thank you for loving us, for your word and the way that it teaches us the mechanics of how these things operate. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want